Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everyone, just a real quick note before we start tonight's show with our good friend Tim Haraney from the TSN Racing Pod to help us break down all the action from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix this past weekend. But I just want to let you all know that about a week and a half ago, we had a major failure of some of our very important hardware here in the studio. And while it meant that we didn't lose any time recording or releasing the podcast episodes we wanted to, it has meant that I've had to spend quite a significant amount of time setting up the studio, resetting up all the settings in the software to help capture and process the best possible audio quality that we're capable of with the resources that we have. Now, having said that, I still think that uh, the audio of this episode and maybe the last one, it was okay, not quite up to our usual good standards, and it definitely does not take away from the content or the quality of the content that you're going to hear over the next hour or so. Anyways, I just wanted to throw it out there in case some of you noticed that it wasn't quite as good as usual, and now that everything is basically back to 100%, we should be back to normal for the next weekly show that will drop in a couple of days on Thursday night. Anyhow, that's it for me. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton, and the host of the TSM Racing Pod, Tim Haraney, here to break down all the action from Sunday's like Azerbaijan Grand Prix. What's going on around the, around the streets of Baku City over California. the weekend? Boys, how's it going? To drop this down here. Yeah, good, man. Thanks very much for uh, having me on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we always we always chop it up after the races, usually. So usually we're in for an entertaining ride here. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. I can tell <laughs> just by like the the expectant look on everybody's faces here that we're we're just going to dive into it. So I'm going to do the I'm going to get the homework out of the way first because we should just go down the race classification and then this maybe sets up a little context. So the top ten finishers at uh, at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix: Max Verstappen winning, Sergio Perez, George Russell on the podium, Lewis Hamilton. We're going to talk a little bit about Lewis tonight because that was. One heck of a drive and probably the most difficult fourth place Lewis has ever earned in his career. Pierre Gasly, fifth for Alpha Tauri. Sebastian Vettel and uh, the Aston Martin coming home sixth. Fernando Alonso, seventh for Alpine. Danny Ricardo and Lando Norris for the two McLarens in eighth and ninth. And Esteban Aka rounding out the top ten. So for those of you who didn't watch the race, you're probably wondering, well, what happened to Carlos Sainz and what happened to Charles Leclerc? So out of four DNFs in the race this uh, Sunday, they were all either Ferrari works teams or they were Ferrari customer cars. So the two Ferrari powered cars that did finish the race didn't actually fit in the finish in the points. That was Valtteri Bottas and the Alfa Romeo. And then Mick Schumacher in the other has. And it was the two Ferraris themselves that did not finish. And well, Charles Leclerc that spectacularly blew up driving down the start finish straight. So let's just get right into it before we talk about the broader implications in the, the world championship now. Guys, what the heck is wrong with Ferrari? We thought starting after the first couple of races, Charles 
He qualified. Well, he won two out of the first three. He hasn't won a race since. He's had six out of the eight pulls for the race this uh, for for the races this year. They are just not converting it. They're they're dropping points on the track. They're having bad things happening on the track, in the pits, on the pit wall. It's just all going wrong. And I don't know if you know. Just speaking for myself personally, if I was Charles Leclerc, I would not be a happy camper right now because they are bleeding points big time in the championship which is starting to look like it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a cakewalk for Red Bull unless they can drastically turn this thing around ASAP. Tim, what do you think? Uh yeah, I mean, it was uh definitely a tough one for for Ferrari and all Ferrari powered cars this weekend. <laughs> I mean, except for I mean there was you know, Carlos Sainz uh, he had said after the race, it was a hydraulic issue that sent him off. I know we said that, you know, the brake pedal or brake by wire issue or something like that, or the team radio, but um, he had said in the bullpen afterwards that it uh, was a hydraulic issue um, for K mag. He had, he had no clue uh, what was going on there. And uh, you know, for Charles himself, I mean, th- <laughs> this is, he was very frustrated, obviously, you know, and then we all heard him on sky sports. I think, you know, this is four poles, Hammy, that he hasn't converted into W's. And, you know, one of them, actually, none of them are really his fault, aside from the fact that the Red Bull was just better race pace in some of the races. And then, yes, he had that issue in Spain. And then Ferrari blundered in Monaco. But for the most part, Leclerc, is doing his job. Yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, he, he's had pole since Miami. He had again in Spain. He had in Monaco. He went uh, went crazy there on Saturday to get to pole for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And again, I mean, just more points left out on the track. If you look at the the or the drivers' championship, you got Max on top with 150 points. You got Sergio 129. You got Charles, who's 116. I mean, he's like Max has got a race win and then some in his pocket between himself and Charles Leclerc. I mean, his only main contender at the moment would be would be Sergio, who's been driving lights out over the last uh, several races. I mean, arguably, or I don't think there is any argument there. I mean, Sergio is driving in the form of his career. He's peaking at the right time. He's got a great car. He's in a great place mentally. He's also got a a two-year contract. So he can just focus on what he needs to do. But uh, Charles, I mean, he's starting to lose distance. I mean, going into this weekend, you had George Russell's coming in with 84 points. He's got on 99 points. He's only 17 points behind Charles Leclerc. I mean, if you're if you're George Russell, okay. Points are a little bit harder to come by. You're, you're not getting those firsts and seconds, but you got to think that that George has his eyes all over Charles Leclerc. Mark, what is your daily of the situation? Daily, <laughs> daily, you you hit it. You hit it on the uh, the nail on the head a couple of minutes ago when you said it's not just it's not just a couple of small things that are going wrong for Ferrari. If you look back the last three races, the last six, the last eight, it's everything. It's pit stops. It's strategy. Remember, Charles qualified on pole at Monaco, his home race. Two weeks ago, he gets that robbed away from him because of terrible strategy, which I think a lot of us are still trying to dissect and trying to understand. Of course, this race was stolen from him from a power unit perspective. But the issues here, the implications for what happened today reverberate far beyond simply the points that were lost in the championships, right? You look at this. Charles Leclerc is already on his third turbocharger of the year. If you look at the regulations, you're allowed three internal combustion engines, three MGUHs, three MGUKs, two battery stores, three turbochargers, and eight 
exhaust. He's now burned through three turbochargers, which means he's got to somehow go back and pull a turbocharger out of a power unit that they've already written off, wed it to the existing power unit and get it ready for Canada. So you're in a position here now where if he can't get those parts ready and he needs to move on to a fourth turbocharger, here we are halfway through the season, he's going to start taking grid penalties. So it's not just bad enough that they're coughing up choking hemorrhaging points in the championship and costing their lead driver wins in a race for the world drivers championship the reliability is going to start costing them grid penalties because there's so many of these parts are so tightly regulated in the technical regulations like it's a terrible place for this team to be in and i i feel horrendous for charles because like tim said you cannot ask anything more from him he is delivering in every conceivable way for this team like you said how many poles has he scored this year? Six and eight races. That is phenomenal. And in any other circumstance, he should be leaving the driver's championship. And he's not. He's third in the driver's championship because Ferrari can't tee up a car that demonstrates any degree of reliability. And in the odd race where they do, they rob the points from him with their terrible strategy. Well, that that's the thing, right? And Tim, I'm going to put this question to you because uh, well, there's no easy questions when it comes to, to Ferrari. The drivers have made mistakes out on the track. They've made bad calls on the pit wall. Reliability is a big issue. So if you get the call from Marinello tomorrow, where do you start to turn this ship around? Because, the, you know, none of these are quick or easy fixes. As Bark just so nicely pointed out, I mean, if you're going through the scrap heap just to put, you know, try and build some Frankenstein PU to get to Montreal next week, and we're only a quarter way through the darn season, that is a nasty, nasty place to be in. Yeah, the loss of this of this uh, power unit. I mean, that's that's huge, right? I mean, just to have to lose that, and then you know, Hammy made great a great point. You know, they're going to have to go back and get an older turbo that they've run earlier in the season and slap that on. And you got to hope that that doesn't you know fail because if it does in totally. Canada, like you're in a lot of trouble, and you're you're coming to Canada, which is a power track. Like they are heading to a power track with Frankenstein parts. <laughs> bolted to this engine i mean it's not it's not a good sign for ferrari i mean this isn't good i mean obviously red bull had their reliability issues at the beginning of the season but they were able to figure that out the problem what's happening with ferrari is is that they're running into or they're running straight up to that line of grid penalties and like new turbos like mark was saying like that's a 10 place grid penalty, man. Like that's a huge penalty to take. And this isn't like an easy, this isn't an easy series for you to make that up, right? Like you just can't go and make up that deficit within a race. Not unless something like monumental happens and they're able to claw their way back. I mean, we have to give credit to what Matteo Bonotto has done, turning this team around. I mean, obviously taking control of everything and what, what, what was it? I think it was like January, 2019 or something like that. I mm-hmm. mean, you have to take your hat off to him because he has done a great job at turning the team around. The problem is, is that there's still a lot of these like gremlins that are just hanging around like, Oh my God. With Ferrari, you just, you just never know. You don't know what you're going to get out of them when the race starts. They show up, they get qualifying done. Leclerc does his job. The team does theirs. And then strategy goes out the window when the race starts. And so does now reliability. I mean, if you're Charles Leclerc and you're going through, you know, team debrief t- tonight after this race, 
I mean, you got to be livid. You have to be. <laughs> Tim, yeah, Tim, the only. Yeah. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, just on that reliability piece, and this isn't something that I came up with on my own, but Sam Collins made a really great point post-race during one of the post-race review shows today. And I thought it's worth sharing. I, I think as most of our listeners probably know, the current engine formula is largely frozen. It's almost completely homologated. However, there are exceptions within the technical regulations at this point that allow teams to introduce new parts to the power unit under the guise of improving reliability. So the reality here is that even though the engine formula is almost completely homologated, they're allowed to identify problematic components and improve them if it's being driven by a reliability issue. And the reality is reliability and performance sometimes go hand in hand. So while you look at the championship standings that Daly so kindly spoke to a couple of minutes ago, and they're now chasing chasing Red Bull by 80 points in the constructor standings, and that's going to be an absolute mountain to overcome. The reality is the, the regulations allow them to, if they can, identify the problematic components within that power unit and replace them. So they are not stricken to running this problematic, unreliable power unit indefinitely. Though again, the cost cap will have implications there as well. But then we also so, have to wonder if it's like, is this packaging? Like, is it a packaging issue that they're running right, into? Right. Things are overheating. Like, is that what it is? I mean, because that's a bit more of a easier fix. But the same point, it's like, you know, this isn't something that's going to be fixed overnight. Like by the time we get to Canada, there's not going to be like a solution. It's one of these things where it's just hold on for dear life and hope that you don't get another mechanical DNF. So I think like there's there's that also to take a look at. I mean, reliability is an easier fix than let's say aero performance. That takes a way longer, but for the reliability side of things, it's a little easier to come by. The only problem is it doesn't take like a week. It takes like weeks. Well, that's just the thing. And the the implications in the championships are a lot more dire when you get away from the driver's side to the constructor's side, because as Hammy just pointed out, there's like an 80-point gap between Red Bull and Ferrari right now. Uh, Red Bull currently on 279 points, Ferrari 199 points. All of a sudden, Mercedes is on 161 points. I mean, they're picking up points where they can. They're not. They're, they're not in the form of first and second, but I mean, they're they're picking them up. They're they're closing that gap to for a Ferrari because I mean, if you look at the results through the first eight races, you had Max and and Sergio who didn't finish. They had the double DNF in Bahrain. He had Max who did, retired in Australia, and then since then, Max has had f- sorry uh, five uh, wins. Sorry, sorry, four wins, a third, and then Sergio since uh, Australia has had uh, three sec, four seconds, three seconds, a fourth, and a first. And then you look at uh, Charles; he's had a six in uh, at Imola. He had a second in Miami. He retired in Spain. He had a fourth in Mon- or sorry, Monaco, and then he retired uh, today. So, I mean, there's there's no wonder that there's so much uh, daylight, you know, between the two teams now. And I, I think that if you're Ferrari, you got to be like just in a, a state of almost panic because if you're Red Bull on the other side, you've got to think that you're in a pretty good uh, place because three races into the season, we're like, well, what's going on with Red Bull? They obviously have a good car. What they brought over and designed for this year is, 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 you know, still a very competitive package that we, we know the Honda engine or the Red Bull powertrain, whatever it is, is a good engine. And they just don't have the reliability. Now you, you fast forward five races after that. 
it's it's completely flipped around. And, and and if you're Red Bull, you have to think, okay, we had our struggles in the beginning, but we're trending in the right direction. Ferrari's regressing. Mercedes is picking up points, but nowhere in a place that uh, that that is uh, that is threatening to us. the The only issue, if you want to call it that, at the moment, is the inter team battle between Max and Sergio. Which, if you look at the delta between the two of them at uh, at Baku today, was it was a bit of a non factor. I mean, Sergio looked great in um, in Spain. I mean, there like uh, I think that that was a fair discussion to have about switching the cars around there. I mean, he obviously. Obviously wins in Monaco two weeks ago. So that just kind of adds a little bit more fuel to that fire about team orders. But I mean, Max, when Max passed Sergio on the track, he was more than a second faster. Like, and then he extended and pulled away from him. And I think Sergio finished, uh, what was it, about 20 something odd seconds behind Max. I mean, they were just uh, light years apart. So, I mean, that to me is about the only only discussion at the moment is which you know things continue which Red Bull driver is going to be the one that wins this thing. I mean, and it seems weird to say that eight races into the season, Tim. Yeah, it's you know one of the things that you know Sergio had going for him during qualifying was that you know he actually had a a car that was more tuned for qualifying. Let's call it when. They got into the race, you know, Max had the better race car, which is interesting because all season long, Max has actually had a better race car. And this is speaks, I think, volumes to his maturity. And one of the things that, you know, we really do need to take a look at because for Verstappen, he just seems different this season after winning that championship. He doesn't uh, he doesn't he doesn't get agitated as much easily. He's he's way calm, calmer, I should say, cooler as well. Like he seems to be thinking a lot more rather than going on sheer instinct and just, you know, wringing the thing's neck and ending up in the wall or ending up in the side <laughs> or on top of another car. I mean, for for Max this season, he it is something that you can really see. He's thinking more um big picture than just getting it out there and putting the car on the limit and trying to get pole. He's, I think he knows that they really don't have a car that qualifies. Well, they have a car that, that races well for, you know, for Sergio, he just, yeah, I think he had a, a really tough time with rear tire uh, degradation. And then after that virtual safety car as well, you know, hearing from him, it was a lot of the do with uh tire warm up. One of the reasons why Max ended up getting him was just couldn't generate enough heat into the tire to to get it to work, um, and which led to obviously I hope I got this I think I got this right led to Verstappen passing him uh, for the lead of the race. So I I just think that as a, as a whole I mean I don't I'm not going to sit here and 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 say that Sergio is by no means not a world champion. I think he has. He has what it takes to be a world champion. And some people are really going to disagree with me on that. But, uh, you know, believe me, this car is more suited for him. And I think for Sergio, if he can just figure out how to get that this car into sort of a better race car, but okay, quality condition. Yeah, I can't. I, I can definitely see this being a, a three-way, maybe even four-way battle for a world championship. Let so. me let me quote, though, 
Sergio Perez's race engineer when they were approaching T1 on that long straight. And I quote, no fighting, which is obviously <laughs> code for this is team orders. Do not try to block your teammate who obviously moved through and had significantly better pace. I, I, I really do agree with you when you make that comment about Max Verstappen being in a different headspace this year. You, you see it in the interviews, pre-race, post-race. I, I think he's a approaching the races and he's being far more methodical i feel like he trusts the car far more than he did last year even though it's an entirely new chassis and a new arrow i think he trusts the team and i think you're absolutely right that last year i think he lacked the trust in the car in the power unit and even into the team a little bit even though he'd been there for a very long time and i think sometimes that manifested it in the way that he approached the race which he was racing on his instincts and he was pushing the cars in ways that maybe he shouldn't have and i think this year for maybe the first time in his career, he's approaching this, like you said, long-term. Uh, there's a significant vision here, but it's very much in a team kind of approach that he's listening to the engineers, he's working with the mechanics, he trusts what's happening back at Milton Keynes. And I think that's obviously being reflected in the results. And that said, though, last year was, by any definition, that championship was a slugfest. Race over race, week over week, it was an absolute slugfest. It went back and forth. And of course, it was a nail biter right till the very end. And Lewis had to pull off a miraculous finish over the last five or six Grand Prix to put himself in a position where he could even win a title in that final race. But I think you're right that he's very different this year. I, I would I would not imagine a situation though where unless something catastrophic happened to to Max Verstappen in terms of his performance, a series of DNFs or uh, terrible performances or some really bad luck from a liability perspective where that team would shift its focus and put Sergio in a position where he could chase a championship. I don't think they're willing to give up points to another team, but I just, I can't imagine a situation where they would embrace that as an outcome. Don't you guys feel that this championship right now is just too nice? You know what I mean? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just too, like, and I don't want to be like totally negative here, but when it comes down to like a hard fought, dr drag it out championship, like there's got to be some nasty in there. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like we, we got to start seeing like the wheel bumping and, yeah, you know, the, the pushback from Sergio or 
um, the denials from Leclerc and the blocking from science. Like we got to start seeing a little bit more nasty in, in this thing, I think for, for, for Max to, I think really feel under pressure, you know, cause like he just seems really and body language says a lot, but after, you know, qualifying, usually he would kind of be annoyed by where he ended up in quality, but you know, this time he just seemed very calm, cool, collected, nothing really got to him. It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, get it. We'll see how the race goes and da da da. And it, like we, I think we need a little bit more. Yeah. We need a little more beating and banging going on here to, to I think really start to unsettle first happen. Well, I think Tim. that the, the, sorry, Mark, I was just gonna say, I think the, the one uh, phrase that got used a lot during qualifying on the, the, the television feed on Saturday was get your elbows out. We need to see elbows out. We need to see handbags. We need to see everything going in there. I mean, because, you know, that was actually really exciting. I mean, to, to watch those four cars battling back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, come on, like a tenth and a half of a second between those, uh, the two Ferraris and the two Red Bulls. I mean, that was some exciting stuff. And it was just too bad that, the, the most enjoyable, you know, on track action came on Saturday. And I want to take anything away from qualifying. I mean, it, it was a great show. It's just too bad that the gremlins robbed us of something similar on Sunday. But I mean, the, the, the Red Bulls had the pace because Max, I mean, he, he even said afterwards that he felt he had the pace to overtake Charles on the track anyways. And it's just that, uh, you know, the, the, the Ferrari engine gremlins just did the job for Max. And then once he passed to Sergio, it was, it was just a foregone conclusion, but yeah, I, I would totally agree there, there needs to be a little bit more edge to this, but I'm going to throw this one to you first. I want, I want to talk now a little about, uh, about Charles Leclerc. So, uh, and, and maybe try and get into his head a little bit. So maybe I'll throw this one to, to Tim, first of all, to get the driver's perspective and Hammy, you jump in here too, whenever you feel fit. So obviously. Charles, you know, it's not going great for him. I mean, he's only got a couple of wins to his name so far. Things seem to be coming. It's like trying to hold, you know, a sandcastle in your hands and watching the sand run through your fingers. It's just like everything he's just turning to, like trying to hold on to is vaporizing at the moment. It's just like, how do you stay focused? I mean, the car, when it's working, is obviously a com- competitive car. Car. Charles is obviously one of the best drivers out there. I mean, he's a proven race winner. I I don't think that it's too much of a stretch of the imagination to suggest that this guy's got what it takes to to be a world champion if the the circumstances uh, permit. But Tim, I mean, how how do you keep focused on this? I mean, this is all stuff that's beyond his control. I mean, that's going to be nagging at him every time he gets in there for, okay, a a free practice session, not so so much of a big deal, but for for quality or for a race. I mean, this has got to be, this has got to be tough for the guy. Yeah, he has to keep doing his job. I mean, it's super important. And the moment I think he starts to steer away from things that have been working for him uh, throughout a race weekend. The moment he, he starts going away from that is the moment that he's going to get into tr- to, to a lot more trouble. So I think for him is just keeping everything the same, keep doing what you're doing. And eventually these things will start to work themselves out. The problem is, is that when you're a driver, you kind of don't see it that way, right? I mean, it's easier for us as like, a, you know, outside viewer looking in, it's easy for us to say that, but 
Sure. It's very hard because you kind of get your judgment gets clouded and then you start to think, well, you know, maybe if I go in this direction with, with setup, it could help with whatever our issues are here. But then that starts a domino effect of it affecting something here, something there, and then it gets into your head and then it starts to become a mental game. And so it's, it's really easy for a driver to sort of lose their way when things aren't going well for you, because with racing and you guys know this, it's that once you're kind of in this sort of, you have this dark cloud following you around. If you don't stick to everything that you keep doing, the dark cloud keeps coming after you and it just doesn't ever go away. And for, for racing drivers, you have your ups and your downs, but you have to know that the downs won't last forever and you will start to trend upwards again. And so that would be my only advice for, for Charles Leclerc is just to keep everything to what he has been doing and just, and just ride out this storm. Hammy, you want a piece of that? Yeah. Said after the race, and I'm quoting Charles Leclerc here, I am more than frustrated. Obviously, uh, said Leclerc, the first stint in the beginning, we weren't particularly strong, but towards the end of the stint on the medium, I was catching back Checo. And then obviously there was the virtual safety car and we decided to take that opportunity to pit. And I think it was the right choice. We were in the lead of the race. I was managing the tires well. We just had to manage the tires and the race till the end, which I think was, we were definitely in the best position possible to do that. Another DNF, it hurts. We really need to look into that for not to happen again. I think the circumstances are unique here too, because this isn't a a middle of the pack driver who's leading the midfield and chasing points every single week. This is an individual who, if not for these DNFs would be challenging for, or if not leading the world drivers championship. And I think the good news is if there's some good news here, we still have five races until the summer break. So there's an opportunity for this team to course correct and get Charles Leclerc into a better state of mind. I think the most damaging thing would be for them to be heading into the summer break on this cusp on on this kind of voyage of bad luck and DNFs. The last thing you want your driver doing is stewing for four weeks on a series of DNFs. So I think the good news is we turn it around quick in Canada, although like both of you said, I don't know what this team's going to be able to do from a Frankenstein perspective to get a power unit in that car. You get a power unit in there, you have to recycle a turbo. How is that going to look from a performance perspective? Does that heighten the likelihood of another failure, or do you have to stick in a new power or a new turbocharger and then you take a ten grid, a ten place grid penalty like Tim described, and suddenly you're on the the back foot once again? I think it must be incredibly frustrating for this driver. And then the other consideration too is oftentimes I think when a driver finds himself in this situation, you start looking around the grid, you know, what would my life be like with this team? Or what would be my life be like with that team? Or would the grass be greener on the other side? And the reality is he's arguably with the team that every driver that aspires to be in formula one is already on. Like he's with Ferrari. Like this is where every driver ultimately wants to be in their career. And I think that must heighten the frustration and the disappointment a little bit more. But I think his management, his, his, his team is probably having some very frank conversations with Ferrari right now to try to understand how this can keep happening because it's not just it's not just the reliability issue it was the pit stop today and it was strategy last week that this team seems to be failing in so many different ways but Tim to your point psychologically I really worry for his state of mind he seemed to rebound in Spain um, he rebounded obviously from Monaco and I didn't know how he was going to do that he rebounded so well that despite the fact that he was outperformed in Q1 and Q2 by his teammate signs which was also great to see it was great to see both of the Ferraris flourishing in the early rounds of qualifying he still takes pole and only to have it robbed again by the power unit failure 
And so, guys, I, I want to just uh, maybe tie this conversation up and then uh, move on to uh, Mercedes and, and talk about uh, some of the things we saw from them this weekend. But, uh, Tim, with all this uh, drama, with all this misfortune that we've seen with Ferrari this year, how does that affect the dynamic within the team and relationships between drivers and engineers and, and the team principal? Like, I, I know that you said you just Charles just has to go in there and Carlos just has to go in there and just keep doing your job, be professional about it. But at some point, tempers are going to boil over. And I'm, we, we've all been there at, at some point, whatever situation. But when the stakes are this high, at, at some point, somebody's going to re, you know, reach their limit. You're going to see the steams coming out of their ears like in the old cartoons. Right. So what, what, what can Ferrari do? I mean, like the problems they have are one thing, but morale is another yeah. thing completely yeah, different. Absolutely. You know, this is where Matteo Bonotto comes in and, you know, that's what he's going to get paid for, right? This is his job. He's got to come in here and he's got to cool everyone down. He's got to bring everyone back together um, as a team. I think that's something that he's actually done really well. That's one of the things that I have to really say that Matteo Bonotto has done uh, well since his his time leading Ferrari here is that he's done a really great job of just bringing everyone together as a team. The things that he does at the factory, you know, it, from what I've heard, uh, it, it's not it's not so cutthroat in there anymore. Um, people aren't so worried about their jobs anymore. I mean, there's more room for errors to happen and people to learn from that, which is in the past under past management hasn't been that way for Ferrari. And so things are a lot different there, which is, which is a good thing. And I think that that's where I was, I was talking about with same with Matteo Bonotto. It's just that, Hey, we were having these DNFs. I got to keep, keep doing what I'm doing keep motivating everyone, keep everyone together. Uh, and, and that will, that will help them get out of this funk that they're, they're currently in. So so, how does he do that? Is it is it pizza and movie night? Is it is it is <laughs> it knows, wacky, right? wa- wacky hair day <laughs> trip to the water slides? You know, <laughs> got to think outside the box here. I guess. I think like one of the things is just making sure that you're learning where these. It's kind of like when a driver crashes, right? Everyone's mm. always like, "Were you scared of crashing?" And it's like, well, you know, not really. I mean, like the thing is, is that like you have a crash. And you learn why you crashed. And then once you've done that, then you don't get so scared the next time because you know why you crashed. So you learn from that. I think the same thing is here is figure out why are we having reliability issues, figure out where it's coming from and just try and fix it and learn from it and move on. And I have a feeling that that's pretty much how he'll deal with something, you know, like this is learning from the mistake. Where did the mistake start? How do you Mm -hmm. correct that mistake? And then we move forward type deal. But, you know, I think like in, in terms of like team morale building, like he's pretty good at like Matteo Bonotto is pretty good at that. Like he's done a really nice job with this team. So yeah, I mean, who knows it's probably going to be nothing, but I mean, at the end of the day, like he'll just go and do what he's got to do to, to bring everyone together and make sure everyone doesn't stay down, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tough times at Baronello. Let's see how they, they turn it around. So now moving over to the uh, other end of the pit lane, or maybe just a few garages up, let's talk mm-hmm. about Mercedes. So this is an interesting one. Uh, George Russell out-qualifies Lewis again. Well, George qualified what in fifth, and then Lewis was seventh, I believe, without uh, looking at my notes. They come home third and fourth, another podium for George, uh, third of the season so far. I think he's looked uh, pretty good. I mean, Lewis gets driver of the day. I, I don't think that there, there should be any question about that. I mean, there's maybe guys that maybe had some more highlight real moments, but just considering what Lewis 
physically did to bring that car home in fourth with the, the the bottoming out the porpoising and just the physical pain that he was in i mean i don't ever recall in this this modern era of formula one or even going back through the years even watching when i was a kid watching a driver barely getting out of the car like struggling to get out of the car in normal circumstances. Yes, you've seen it before when somebody's had a big shunt, they've had their bell rung, you know, it takes them, you know, a few moments to, to, to gather their senses and figure out where they are. But I mean, Lewis literally pulling himself out of the cockpit on the halo, sitting on the halo, and then walking really gingerly down the pit wall, or sorry, the, down the pit lane. And that was just something I'd never seen before. And then Toto once again, apologizing for the car. And then, you know, subsequently Toto saying, maybe Tim, you can maybe can lend a little bit more color to this, that perhaps this is an issue. This, this back problem that he now has for the punishment that he's taken is maybe put into question whether or not we'll see Lewis in Montreal next week. But guys, something I never thought I would see. That was just a very strange, strange moment. Yeah. And not I a think nice that- one to see. Yeah, well, I think I think we'll see. I think we'll be seeing Lewis in in Montreal. I was on a Zoom call with with Toto Wolf, and you know he assured us that there was going to be a reserve driver at the race, like there usually is. Uh, there's always there's always one of them there. Nick DeVries is there, or Stoffel Van Dorn, who was there this past weekend. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's always going to be a reserve driver around. Um, the thing is, is that you know Lewis was running. Uh, an experimental part on the race car this weekend. And that experimental part was, was um, actually uh, the rear suspension. And so what he went, the direction that he went in was kind of like taking one for the team kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll try it on my car and we'll see what, what happens sort of deal. And so for him, it just, it just didn't work. Like this new experimental part was the wrong thing. It just, it didn't work out for them uh, whatsoever where George kind of just stuck to what he's been doing and just dragging absolute performance out of this car. Right. I mean, and for, for Lewis, he was telling us, you know, that it, at the beginning on a high fuel load, like the car was, he said, was trying to get away from him everywhere. I mean, there was points where there was high speed sections and he was literally having to lift off of the throttle because the car was literally trying to go into the wall. And so for, for him, I mean, this was a, absolute like nightmare of a race. Like I could only imagine just how much this sucked to drive the entire time. That's why we got that message from, from Toto, you know, following uh, the race, calling it a a bleep box car. I mean, (laughs) he's not wrong. I mean, like when I watch back Lewis's onboard cameras, like it looks like a handful. It looks horrible to drive. Um, But, you know, he, he reassured us, you know, he was getting uh, therapy done, on his back, um, his trainer, Angela, was actually doing a lot of acupuncture and physiotherapy with him after every single session. But I mean, it's really bad when the driver actually has to stop free practice to literally can't do race runs and just you know get out of the car and that's it, right? My day is over. I mean, that's crazy. Well, look, totally. Look, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I'm glad, Daly, you brought up the porpoising issue because I think some of us felt that maybe... Maybe Mercedes had solved this. And certainly after this weekend, we're beginning to see that this issue has not been resolved grid wide. And we heard Daniel Ricardo post race saying that this was the first race weekend that he's ever experienced porpoising and he doesn't wish it on anybody in the world. And that's significantly worse than anything he's experienced driving a race car. But I recall after qualifying, Lewis was in the media pen and he did acknowledge like, look, there's a fix. There's a fix for porpoising. We lift the ride height and we stick on a stiffer floor. But in doing 
doing so, we significantly compromise performance. And he said the decision that we, the team, and he made was that we were going to lower the suspension as much as we could possibly do, and we were going to put on the most aggressive floor that generates the most downforce. And the the net outcome of that is that they experience porpoising. And the I think the challenge, though, for me is I see the drivers and kind of thinking about this through a human lens, I'm genuinely worried about them. And, you know, I saw a thread on Reddit earlier today, and they were summarizing all the comments from different drivers from team to team over the course of the last couple of weeks who had acknowledged issues. And, you know, we saw commentary from Magnuson um, articulating that, hey, he feels he possibly has nerve damage from the porpoising issue. And George Russell talked about it after the race. And Lewis talked about it during the race because we saw that radio message that, ah, my back is killing me. Like, this isn't necessarily a good thing. And sometimes I wonder whether this is something that the FIA needs to regulate a little bit more closely. But then again, how do they regulate something that the teams can fix? They just don't want to fix it because it means compromising performance. But at the same time, I really feel for the drivers that are having to experience this. And, you know, Lewis, after the race, was uh, in the the media pen, the bullpen, and they asked him about his experience today. And he said this was, without question, the most physically difficult race he's ever experienced. This is a guy with 296 Grand Prix in Formula One, (laughs) the most physically damaging and challenging race he has ever been a part of. And, you know, you said, Tim, he's going to be back there next week in Canada Lewis, if nothing, is an absolute workhorse. He's a machine. He's going to be there. But that is an incredibly fast turnaround to get to Canada, to get rehabbed, and to get in that car on a power track where presumably this porpoising effect is going to resume very quickly. Yeah, I just couldn't see him missing like missing a race. You know what I mean? I just couldn't see it. Like he's a tough, he's a real tough dude. So I, I honestly can't see that happening. Um, but I mean, at the same time, you made an interesting uh, remark, Hammy, about, you know, the FIA getting involved here. And I, mean, I think they are. I think like one of the things that, you know, I've heard them talking about is, is yes, trying to come up with a uh, certain height for, for that ride height. And, but George actually said something in the, the post-race press conference. You know, he said, like, they have the technology to solve this bouncing by, you know, a click of a finger. And you know what that, you know what that sounded like to me? Active suspension. I'm yes. Like, yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. Like, I, I don't want active suspension. Like that, that screams to me that like Mercedes, if they had active suspension, they'd have a killer car. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, here's the thing. Active suspension was outlawed decades ago. Why would you bring it back? That makes zero sense. Find another way. Yeah. Because once we start getting active suspension, yeah. I don't know, guys, like <laughs> It's not going to look fun. Like it, like these cars aren't going to look like a handful. Like it does, it's not going to look like the drivers are like really, really working hard. Like, come on, like active yeah. suspension in the middle of a corner. Like, give me a Tim. Break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, it's interesting you make that point. And Daly, I, I'm going to interject real quick. But Go I think there is this widespread conspiracy theory on the internet right now that I don't give a lot of credence to, which is that Mercedes <laughs> is doing everything they can to amplify the porpoising issue because they want to build a business case to reintroduce active suspension to Formula One. And, you know, even if they introduce it as a spec part, so, hey, it's not something that's customized and developed at the team level, I don't know how that works with the cost cap. And I think you would have a very hard time selling the smaller teams on introducing more cost and complexity, especially when the cost cap's going down to $135 million last next year. And I also agree that while I've been a big advocate of active suspension in the past, and I think it's one of the most fascinating eras of Formula One, and the sports flirted with it a couple of times, I absolutely agree that that is the ultimate driver aid, and it would absolutely take away the, the requirements of having a world-class driver in these cars. hundred percent. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. That's why we're watching, right? We're, we're watching because we want to see the best drivers in the world compete against each other. I mean, as soon as you get like well, automatic gearboxes, traction control, active suspension, I mean, why don't you just put a robot in the car at the end of the day and <laughs> yeah. just let them drive the car? Because that's yeah. what you're, that's literally what you're trending. You're trending towards that. You don't want to trend towards that. You want to trend away, right? It's a sport. Yeah. It's a sport. And sorry, I get really heated about all this because I, I mean, I just, um, yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're a team like Mercedes, if you know, you've, you've got to figure this out on your own, like you've got the budget to figure this out and go and do it. And at the same time, I, Lando Norris, at the end of this race, when he was asked about all of this, like he, he didn't seem upset about it whatsoever. It was basically like, hey, we got it figured out. We're fine. They can figure yeah. it out too. But that's, that's why I point. found that the Daniel Ricardo comments were so startling because Daniel hasn't commented on pur- porpoising all year. And I heard that comment from Land. I'm like, okay, that it's good to know that there's certain teams on the grid that seem to have this solved. But this was also the first time that I've heard Daniel speak about it and in such a meaningful, impactful way. It could also just be that the two of them had a very different approach to set up this race weekend as well. So they could have physically had a different experiences in the car. But you're right. Mm-hmm. There's certainly some teams that have solved it. But uh, certainly active suspension is not the correct mechanism to solve the porpoising issue. Sorry, Daly. No, no, that's fine. You know, I, the only thing I wanted to add to this discussion was as cool as I think that uh, active suspension was. I mean, it was banned for a reason. And I don't want it to, to see it brought back for the, exactly all the reasons that you guys uh, outlined. I mean, they should be able to, to figure out a way to get past this. But I mean, having said that, I don't like to see like a guy like Lewis pulling his, himself out of the car. I don't like hearing stories like K-Mag saying that he's suffering like nerve damage, like for on his arm and jaw and stuff like that. And then, you know, guys like Carlos Sainz, who's talking about that he's he's ultimately getting a little bit concerned about like any possible like medium and long term health effects uh, on the drivers. So, but daily, I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. But but daily, though, to, to play devil's advocate a bit, though, but sure, th- doesn't that just speak to like you can fix this problem? Yeah, like, totally. Just raise the ride height. Like you know, they would lose performance, but yep. the health of the driver would be okay. But the thing is, if they're raising the ride height for everybody, then wouldn't tech or theoretically everybody be you know dealing with the same disadvantage? I guess it, uh, in large part it, it's due well, to the design of the aero package and the floor and and all and all that. So what I'm getting at though is just that yep. 
leave everything as it is. This is the car you made. This is what you've got, right? If you want to preserve the driver's health, raise the ride height. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, or fix it. One or the other. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's that's it. I I just don't. uh, Yeah, these are the regulations. You know, stick to the regulations, right? We got these regulations for a reason, so we could have better racing. You don't yep. want to mix up what they've already done because it looks like it's working. Like it actually is working. What they've decided to do here is working. So if teams are having issues, then then isn't that on the teams? That's my question. Oh, totally. That's, I, fair. I, That's yeah, fair. I think you raise a really great point there. I mean, just to put a bow on this uh, discussion, it'll be really interesting to see going into uh, next year with the year uh, behind us and these uh, new regs. You know, will any teams have porpoising issues in, in 2023? Okay, before we close out the show, I do want to say, devote a couple of minutes just talk about the the two Canadian drivers, Lance Stroll and Nick Latifi. But before we do that, I just want to really quickly go over an article that Mark linked to in the show notes uh, from the the, the race dot com. They had a, a list of winners and losers from the the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Among the winners were obviously Max Verstappen and George Russell, who we've already talked about. Included in their winners list was uh, Pierre Gasly, Sebastian Vettel, and Danny Ricardo. I think those are all solid shouts. I think that uh, Sebastian, had he not had that bit of a moment going into T3, trying to pass Esteban Alcon, maybe at the end of the race, maybe he's mixing up a little bit further up the uh, the, the road with uh, Lewis Hamilton there. But I thought for Sebastian, I thought it was a very encouraging race. And uh, Danny Ricardo, okay, he got, uh, where, where did he come home in the end? Was it eighth or ninth? No, it was eighth, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, but, uh, you know, I think that was a result that uh, he needed. Uh, it was kind of interesting, though, that 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 uh, inter-team radio conversation going between Danny and his engineer and Lando and his engineer just talking about you know the whole situation trying to catch Fernando and possibly switching those cars around and then Danny pulling ahead and kind of extending that gap between himself and his teammates and uh, but it was a good result I think for for both of them they got uh, a good haul of points I thought a good uh, result for for Pierre Gazzi I think he looked uh, pretty racy at uh, times and then on the loser side I don't think there's going to be any surprises here that the two on the top of the list there were Charles Leclerc and Ferrari and uh, you can throw uh, Carlos into the, the the Ferrari basket there and then the other losers that they have was uh, Yuki Sonoda Kevin Magnuson, I mean, K-Mag, I think is an easy one because I mean, he had a pretty good start to the season, hasn't scored any points and was it four races now? And I mean, he's just been doing what he needed to do again today. A mechanical issue forced him out of this one. And then uh, among their losers was also uh, Alfa Romeo. They've kind of gone off uh, the, the boil a little bit uh, there as well. Is there anything that uh, that you guys would like to add to that? Uh, I just want to talk about, yeah, Ricardo for a sec and and Gasly, because, you know, Ricardo in particular coming into this race weekend with just a ton of pressure on his shoulders, man. Like we're talking Zach Brown, like almost literally calling him out in the media at one point this season already. Like it was two races ago or maybe three, but at the same time, it's like, you know, he has to find a way of, of bouncing back. Um, Mm -hmm. hearing from him afterwards, it kind of sounds like they're starting, to figure out a setup that kind of helps Daniel because he has such an attacking style to the corner that it just doesn't, it doesn't work with these race cars. And that's so ingrained in his driving styles. It's such attacking that, that apex or attacking that corner entry. And so for him, it's just trying to figure out how to get around that. I think for, for him in particular on that uh, medium compound tire 
Um, he just, just couldn't keep up with Alonzo in that, in sector three. And then obviously, I mean, like the Alpine's engine looks really good, man. And, and the Alpine is starting to look really good. I mean, Alonzo looked like a friggin' rocket in sector three, dude, no one was catching him. So uh, even if Lando had have been allowed to get by, you know, Danny Rick there towards the end to have a shot, there's no way. I think there's no way Lando was catching Alonzo. He was way too fast on that start finish straight away. And as for, as for Gasly, uh, you know, Sergio Perez gets that extension, you know, in Monaco and Hammy and I spoke about this on the pod gets that extension. And then you're thinking like, okay, well, what's going to happen with Sergio Perez? So coming into this race weekend, he needed this, I think to just show that, you know, Pierre Gasly is back because at the end of the day, this alpha tower is just so far this season. It's not, it's not great. Okay. This isn't like a great race car that alpha tower kind of come up with here. You know, Gasly had, uh, his best qualifying performance so far this season. Um, and then obviously the P five finish is for him incredible. And I think that, I think that's going to help his driver stock, you know, go going forward, uh, for him, because it's kind of like, okay, how long do you want to hang around at alpha tower? Knowing that you are a really good driver and knowing that this car isn't even, isn't even all that great. I mean, think about it. He only did one stop and he had to keep, I believe it was the hard tire compound he jumped onto at the end. He had to keep that alive for however, however many laps that was. I mean, it was forever. Right. So, I mean, yeah, shout out to Pierre Gasly because he drove one hell of a race today. Just to add on to that Gasly piece as well. At this point last year, he'd had six points finishes and a podium. This was just his third points finish of the year. It was wow. by far his best finish. And, and obviously, Alpha Tauri is still working away with his car. And I think there's an adjustment period for him. But I think this was psychologically a really important race result for him post race as well. He was talking about the fact that he'll be traveling with max to Canada. So they're going to fly out uh Baku and then they're going to travel to Canada together on one of the Red Bull jets. And I think it's good for him to be around max and, and talk about race experience and setup and things like that. Like, I think that's a good place for him to be and a good person to surround himself with over the next couple of days. Okay, guys, I just wanted to add one more uh, quick uh, comment here. I think uh, one thing that maybe flew under the radar here, the, the two Alpine cars, Fernando Alonso coming home P7 and Esteban Ocon on P10. I think maybe that uh, didn't get mentioned, a, a solid outing for, for both of them. And then just uh, quickly, guys, uh, your thoughts on a very, very poor weekend from both of our Canadian drivers, Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. Who wants to take that one? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Sammy's furiously <laughs> pointing at me. <laughs> I mean, I think like I, we'll start with Lance. I mean, at the end of the day, that Monaco, we go back to Monaco, right? It just doesn't have that mess up in Q1. I think for for him, that's a definite Q3 uh, appearance. But then once we get to um, once we get here to Baku and, and starts, you know, it all starts in in qualifying, right? And then has that square on with the wall. And he's asking the team, like, if the front wing is okay, right? He's literally saying, should I pit? And the team's like, no, you shouldn't. We think you're going to be all right. So then he's like, okay, starting a push lap and sends it in there. And obviously broke way too late on cold tires. I don't think those tires had enough heat in them and just destroyed the entire race car. Well, not the entire race car. I shouldn't blow that one out of proportion. Took the, <laughs> took the front corner off of it. Uh, 
it's uh, he's not having a good season. You know, Lance is just not having a good season right now. Frustrated. Um, this is a car that's actually starting to look quite decent. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's dragging the performance out of it. So the performance Absolutely. is there. And I think for, for Lance, that's got to be very frustrating to see. Um, and same thing for him. You know, just got to keep going back to whatever was working. You can't deviate from the things that are working. So you got to stick with that process and eventually you'll come out on top. But having a new car essentially come through in the middle of the season is really difficult. You need to have a lot of experience to know how to handle that, which Sebastian Vettel does and Lance just doesn't. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think for him, he's got to get this thing back on track because it's just not going well. I think he's, he's got that car to get the points to get what he needs. So for him, it's just, yeah, you got to stay focused, man. Over, Over to Nicholas. I mean, I think the, one of the things for, for Nicholas and everybody's going to crap all over him anyways, and probably crap all over me too for saying it, but the performance is starting to come. It's not like he's, you know, seconds off of, of Alex anymore. Like he's a few tens, which is good to see. That means that he's getting a little bit more comfortable with this race car. They haven't even brought any new upgrades to this, this race car, like nothing serious or, or major. And so I think, once that starts to to happen, hopefully that gives Nikki a bit more confidence and he's able to try and take this thing to the limit because it's a place that he hasn't really been to with this car yet was is taking it to the limit. And so I think for I think for for him, he just needs to have a good race where it kind of just boosts that that confidence. You know, the the penalty that he got off the top, um, that was actually a crew member that had pushed him back past uh, the yellow mark line that drivers use to line their tires up uh, for their grid spot, pushed him back. And then it appeared that it pushed him back a little bit too far. So the crew member came back over and it's 15 seconds before I believe the formation lap starts that so you can't even touch the car. And this guy was like, he had just done it at the 15 second mark and um, moved him forward. And that's what caused him to get that 10 second penalty. And then the next one was for ignoring blue flags, which is fair enough. He was, I mean, saw the video. So yeah, definitely uh, got that five second time penalty for sure. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough for, for Nicholas. I mean, every day after every race, it kind of seems like I'm uh, hearing about uh, someone else coming in and replacing him mid season. Um, uh, Dieter Rankin actually just posted a, an article that Oscar Piastri could replace him coming into the, the British Grand Prix. Um, that's news to a lot of us. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I have a feeling that's not going to happen, but this is formula one and who knows anything can happen, <laughs> anything, anything that will happen can happen sort of, sort of deal, but coming into yeah. coming into Canada, he's super excited. So is Lance. I uh, spoke to both of them and yeah, they're, they're jacked up to come to Canada, obviously, and finally get a, a get a home race for, for, for both drivers, obviously competing uh, around Europe. I mean, you don't get that opportunity to really race in, in home races and mm-hmm. I've raced in enough home races to know how that feels and it yep. feels pretty good. So who knows, maybe them coming back home uh, will, uh, will help turn their seasons around. Cool. Hey guys, let's delve into the mailbag now. I know that uh, that we we've got a bunch. So who who's got the mailbag? I know it's not on this side of the desk. So sure, okay. I'll uh, I'll take that one from at okay, cool uh, at F one IMI. 
Uh, bouncy cars and long-term health conditions. Adjusting ride height is clearly not the solution. How about suspension? Ferrari engine problems. Also, Red Bull seems to have small issues that they are clearly guarding and with a little bit of crossed fingers. Will this come back to bite them towards the end of the season? I mean, there's a lot packed into that <laughs> question. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's tackle the health health conditions. I mean, uh, because we, we kind of touched on it with with Lewis and then Daniel Ricardo as well. And you know, George has actually also been one of those drivers who's who's really been you know, beating that that drum. And a lot of it, it's not really muscular anymore, right? It's more skeletal. It's more uh, um, in the spine, right? And that's one of the things that Total Wolf had said to us following um, following the race on uh, on Sunday. And I think like for that portion, that's serious. I mean, I know I have had spinal injury uh, as well that's been caused from racing and it's just long-term damage that's in there now because of it. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely something that they have to take a look at. Um, but, but, uh, I don't know, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, this is, these are the regulations that have been given. And like I was saying earlier, if the teams can adjust the suspensions and fix these things and they probably should, um, hammy Ferrari engine problems and also Red Bull, uh, seems to have small issues that they are clearly guarding. Yeah, just I want to add quickly just on that uh, that comfort piece, the health and safety related to the porpoising. Let's just be very clear that no race car is even remotely comfortable. Like I haven't competed yeah. in competitive open wheel racing, but I used to take my car to the track, and you know you'd put on your ultra stiff sidewalled R compound tires, and you drop your coilovers, and you dial in the dampers until it was as stiff as you can imagine, and it was incredibly painful, and you couldn't wait to get the car off the track and undo <laughs> all of the race configuration that you set up. And again, this is a road car that's being configured for track purposes. Like none of these cars are comfortable, but it does alarm me ultimately that, Hey, there could be some skeletal or nervous system issues, but to your point, the regulations are clear and the teams need to, in fact, you've kind of sold me on this conceptually a little bit, Tim, because I was very much on the sense that the FIE needs to step in and regulate this, but you're right. The teams all have a fix. They just don't want to apply that fix because the fix is either a, you raise the right height of the car and you put on a stiffer floor and you compromise performance, or you put pressure on your factory to come up with a more long-term solution that doesn't compromise performance. And clearly some teams have been able to do the latter, including Red Bull, who seem to be having no issues. They've got phenomenal pace and they don't have the the bouncing and porpoising issues in terms of, in terms of the Ferrari reliability issue. I think the challenge is that the reliability isn't related to one specific thing. Like early in the season, when Red Bull were struggling with reliability, we were able to isolate it principally to the fuel cell, right? It was fuel pump. It was things within the fuel bladder. They were able to identify those issues. Fortunately, in the, those cases, those were all spec parts. And I think it was more bad luck. So not something that they had to go back and re-engineer. I think in the case of Ferrari, you look at today, like one of the issues was a power unit. The other was hydraulic related. And you look at the back of Carlos Sainz's car today, it was just covered, just plastered in hydraulic fluid. Those are two very distinctly and totally unrelated issues. Like that's not a good thing. If every single issue went back to the MGUH or the MGUK, that's great. Pull your resources, identify a fix and address it. But when your reliability issues are related to different things, that's hugely problematic for everyone back at the factory, because now you've got to take the resources that you have, which are fewer than you've ever had before because of the cost cap. And then you also need to take your 
kind of minute financial resources because you've got a cost cap and you've got to decide how we're going to address these and which ones take priority. So I don't know. As for the rebel comments, that one's maybe a little bit new to me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, that one's interesting. I mean, out of everything, I mean, I don't really have any other uh, points to add to what you guys have already covered on the other two topics. But the thing is, isn't everybody dealing with like little gremlins and little issues? And ultimately, if these are little things, little issues that they're dealing with, it's 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 not costing them pace. It's not costing them position. They're, they're not having to retire the cars. So probably from from that point of view, and, and this is just uh, me speculating and thinking out loud here, maybe there's a little less urgency for them or they can they, they, you know, they're not crucial because, or maybe they are crucial, but they're able to deal with them because it, it's not like a massive, you know, double DNF like we saw in in Bahrain or like Ferrari saw, uh, saw today at Azerbaijan. So, you know, everybody's going to have something. I mean, it's a long year. These cars are inc- incredibly complex and to the, like assume that these cars work 100%, 100% of the time, I think is uh, a little bit of wishful thinking. I think somebody's always going to be dealing with with something either with aero, with mechanics, w- whatever the case may be. But um, th- that one was a bit, a, bit, a bit of news to me as well. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were, if they're dealing with that. All right. Next question, sir. At SR5450, is the season over? Question mark. Mercedes will continue to catch up, but too little, too late. Uh, is the season we, over? The, I, I think we hand this one off and, uh, and and pass that one straight over to Maronello. Say, hey, guys, what do you think of this? <laughs> what say you? <laughs> I, I sure hope not. I mean, of course I kid. And I mean, we're third of the season. There's third of the way through the season now. And I, I would just be really disappointed if it was just a real flash in the pan. Because the thing is that Ferrari, it is a competitive car. It's, it's, it's a good car. And to see them struggle like this. I mean, if you're a Ferrari fan, if you're a Ferrari driver or anyone in that team you must be as we talked about off the top of the show so frustrated right now because they know the performance is there so i I sure hope they can get it turned around because not that i particularly have anything against red bull or max or sergio winning the title i just want to see somebody push them for it and you know i i just don't want to be talking about 2022 and Ferrari, maybe about the same way we talk about 2018 and Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, that conversation that that was a season, a championship that he should have really had more of a say in. And uh, that, that I think to me is one that kind of got away from him. Hammy, do you think the season is over? Yeah, I just want to build on that point that Daly made that I think 2018 looms very large in the rearview mirror of regret for Marinello. <laughs> that that was a that was a championship that they probably could have and and should have secured and it fell Same apart with 2017 for them in the back well. half of that season. So 2017, yeah, 2017, yep. as well. 2017, man. Like we yep. talk about this reign of Mercedes dominance for seven years. There was a team that had an opportunity to mm-hmm. throw in some disruption there and they failed to do it. I don't want to think it's over purely and selfishly from a business perspective. If this championship's wrapped up by the summer break, we all see our podcast ratings crater because everyone checks out. And selfishly, (laughs) I don't want that to happen. Last year, from a business perspective, couldn't have been better because people were invested until the last race. So, you know, I'm going to be an optimist on this one. I just, I can't imagine that their bad luck and their reliability issues are going to persist. You've got to think that at some point, Red Bull is going to have a little bit of bad luck. Um, Mercedes has had a 
ton of good luck. They haven't had a retirement yet. They brought every car or they brought the car home in every single race. So I think that I don't think it's over, but I think it's dangerously close. And maybe we revisit this question after five Grand Prix when we're going to the summer break. If the Delta is still 80 points at the summer break, then it's going to be It'll be tough to imagine a scenario where they can close that gap, but if they can get that down to 40 or 50 points, and hey, we've got a battle on our hands in the second half of the season. Great point. At Sean is a mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotta love these Twitter handles. Yeah, this isn't really a question. It's more of a statement, but um, Mercedes has the most reliable engine at this point. Well observed. Over yep. to at... Uh, Bengals bubbles. Oh my God. Bengals bubbles. Shout out. <laughs> uh, this may be a question for to start off with you, Hammy, but um, it's a long one. So bear with me. With more drivers training with Sims, so simulators, do you think car development is being more geared towards improvements based on data and sightline for young drivers like? Lando Norris and less on how the car feels for the development of guys like Ricardo, AKA sacrificing feel for performance with the exception that I'm sure they both felt and saw how slow they were in the straights today. LOL. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Tim Haraney here, you know? <laughs> so yesterday I was talking to young driver, Matt Clark. And of course, in your case, it would be total wool for president Obama or Jay-Z. But yesterday <laughs> I was talking to talented young racer, Matt Clark, who's of course aspiring to become an IndyCar driver. And we were actually talking about uh, the prevalence and the role of simulators in racing today. And he was talking to the fact that, you know, going into the pandemic when drivers couldn't be around their teams and they couldn't amass a crew and go to a track for testing simulators became incredibly important. And I think, that's now permeated through all levels of racing. And I think all drivers have a sim in their home. They're all using iRacer. They can look at individual data. They can experience tracks. They can take different cars to different tracks, experience different conditions, blah, 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 blah. But I think the other thing that's really important here is given where Formula One is from a cost perspective today, they simply have to rely on simulators because they can't get these guys into the cars more than two times a year for testing. Like you have two filming days spread throughout the season. You maybe have six. This year we had six days of preseason testing. Really next year is probably going to be three. Like you go back 15 years ago in the era of big cigarettes in, in formula one, like you had a dedicated testing team. You had a crew of mechanics that were traveling the globe within a dedicated car just for testing. Like you don't get that luxury anymore because of the way that they manage the economics of the sport. So I think simulators are incredibly important. I don't remember what the question was. It was really good, Tim. So I'll kick it back to you. If you want to build anything onto my, uh, my indirect rant, no, it's pr pretty good, man. We'll move on. At I've been Yukied. Uh, I don't. I don't get that handle. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you off the air. I'll explain okay. it to you off the air. Uh, what about Lando and his questioning team orders at the end? Question mark. Uh, Dr. So Daniel Ricardo did him a solid earlier in the race when he had more pace and team orders were given. Lando Norris is dropping in my likability index 
Well, I, I think that's just uh, Lando, although he comes across like uh, pretty nice and uh, and pretty personable, like out of the cars, just showing a little bit of that uh, that that killer instinct when he's uh, when, when he's in the cockpit. It's just like, definitely. you definitely. know, uh, you know, you, you got to do what it takes uh, to win. And if that means you want your, your teammate out of the way, you think that, that you're, you're faster. I think he's just uh, I think he's just looking out for himself. And I think as a racing driver, I I, I don't think that, uh, that that's necessarily a bad thing. You don't want uh, you don't want the guy in the car to be a pushover yeah i mean you you uh you you can't be listen you can't always be nice okay and you can't be nice on the track these guys aren't your friends i mean you're out there to battle and and do your best and for the position that lando's in i mean he was he was a team first sort of guy today i mean he did get radioed and got given instructions and he even said afterwards that he was he was following team orders and trying to be a good teammate um at the end of the day i think this was a battle for third place uh, our podium spot, or if it was a battle, you know, in the championship of some kind, then I think we, we would have seen a more aggressive, uh, Lando Norris and yes, he should be. That's, that's, uh, that's very important at, um, Gary C. Blaney. Uh, why don't they just ban porpoising and penalize those that choose to run with it? Hammy. Yeah, I think we answered this question a little bit earlier on, right? Which is the regulations are established, they're defined, and ultimately teams are choosing, in some cases collaboratively with their drivers, to run setups that uh, amplify the effect of porpoising. Like we talked about earlier, raise the ride height, put on a stiffer floor, and the porpoising goes away. I think I have some sympathy for the drivers because I don't think any driver is ever going to resist the temptation of having a faster setup. I feel bad for them. But at the same time, I think the pressure needs to be on their team just to build a solution that's more permanent and sustainable than lifting the ride height or uh, allowing their drivers to be subjected to those really negative forces to their skeletal and nervous systems. Mm-hmm. That's everything from the from the mailbag. Back to you, Daly. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a perfect place to to wrap it up. Uh, you know, there, there was not a lot of action at the front of the track, the front of the running order today. But I mean, surprisingly, when you break it down, there's a lot of different storylines going on. I just hope, uh, as Hammy said, that uh, we can perpetuate the, the the interest in this season, and that uh, I want to see more fight back from uh, for, from Ferrari. I hope they can really pull it uh, together going into Canada next weekend, which is going to be great. I mean, we're all really excited for this one. First home Grand Prix, first Canadian Grand Prix since 2019. 19 who would have thought guys but i mean hey we had this little thing called covid in between but it's it's, it's awesome to see that we're going to be back in montreal it's going to be great to see the new facilities there and it's going to be great to see uh, like uh, those cars running around Ile de notre dame which we have not seen in far too long really excited for it so on behalf of myself mr mark hamilton and tim Haney, thank you for joining in take care guys we'll talk to you again really really soon bye for now